Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and this week I'm speaking to Daniel Milroy Mayer, the editor of Swim, the art and photography magazine that has a refreshingly unpretentious approach to the work on its pages. As Daniel explains, the magazine was initially intended as a way to showcase the work of friends, and while it's grown since then and now also includes some really big names, it's managed to keep that same feeling of easy accessibility. In large part, that's thanks to their themes. The latest issue profiles artists that have changed medium in some way. So we see the vulnerability of artists who may be considered masters in one field as they move over and try something new. I think it also really helps that Daniel and the team are themselves willing to keep on playing and experimenting and doing something that entertains them, even if it means making life more difficult for themselves along the way. It's always difficult to talk about such a visual magazine without being able to see it and there are a couple of pieces in particular that we look at in detail so I'm going to include pictures of those stories on the Stack blog post for this episode. So if all this leaves you wanting to see more of the magazine head over to the Stack blog and take a closer look there and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Daniel from Swim. Hey Daniel, thank you very much for coming over. Thanks Steve, thanks for having me. So you are the man or one of the people behind Swim magazine. Um, Maybe you should start just by telling us a bit about what this magazine is and where it came from. Um, Swim is a biannual art magazine, art and photography. Um, We're based in London. Um, There are originally three of us, there's now five. Um, So it's me, I'm the editor, and then there's two graphic designers, um, and two photographers and we all sort of bounce around and do each other's jobs a little bit um, but we're just a big group of friends really that make a magazine together. Very nice it sounds like a promising start for a magazine. Yeah absolutely. So this issue um, is all about looking at how and why artists change their medium. Mm-hmm. Why look at that as a, a theme for a magazine? Um, I think often I mean, we part of the kind of identity of Swim Magazine is for it to be an investigative magazine, art magazine. We kind of found that a lot of art magazines feel a bit inaccessible. Um, a lot of them, I guess they kind of take themselves quite seriously or they're, they're, they're quite esoteric and they're kind of for art academics and things like that. So we just wanted an accessible art magazine that kind of, you know, um, goes more behind the scenes of an art, of um, art and the artists themselves and kind of looks more into their process. Um, and I think something we found quite interesting was when we found we came across artists who were working in different mediums, um, we found there was like a certain, almost like a vulnerability to that um, in that, you know, you have people who, for instance, maybe have spent years painting and then they want to try their hand at... Um, photography or something like that and then it's kind of you know you have to go back to the start and you're no longer an expert in what you do Um, and we just found that really interesting and kind of how they adapt to that new way of working Um, it was just yeah it was a theme that really drew us in and I really I love the lack of pretentiousness that that comes with it and I'm sure it's I mean partly it's to do with your magazine and the way that you want to present people Mm -hmm. but as you say there's this vulnerability that comes with somebody 
trying something new. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, issue two was similar in that it was um, it was about work that had never been showcased before. So people's kind of um, drafts that hadn't um, ever been completed or work that had been rejected or things like that. And again, there was that kind of vulnerability about showing work that maybe wasn't their best work. Maybe it was things from a while ago they weren't happy with anymore. Um, but it kind of, uh, there's this human element to that. Um, and that kind of followed through to this issue. Um, and we found it again, quite interesting for artists to be like, hey, look, you know, I'm an amazing painter, but actually um, my photographs are terrible, <laughs> you know? But it, it was not that they're terrible, but it's it's not, maybe it's, you know, it's, they're, they're so used to kind of, I guess, being an expert in their craft. It's just kind of that, um, it's yeah it's just going back to the roots and back to the beginning and kind of like finding your way again well I mean, it feels to me like there's uh, an interest for you in the unseen or at least the unconventional because mm-hmm. when you look at the ordering of the artists that you have in here so Devendra Banhart mm-hmm. is in there on page 76 yeah. Thierry Noir is there on page 130 so I mean you know these are like relatively big yeah. names I'm not even relative they're big names yeah. The conventional magazine thing would be, I mean, if we're being properly conventional, you'd have a cover that's got their names on it. You'd have them popping up in the first few pages. What's the thinking behind making this in a way where you sort of like tuck them in somewhere in the middle of the magazine? Um, I think when we started, Swim was a magazine for our friends predominantly, um, which I think is how a lot of magazines start. We just wanted a platform for people that we knew who were making great work that weren't getting the exposure that they deserved. Um, And then we kind of, we realized that how nice it would be to have a magazine that had your friends in it and also had those artists you'd always admired. But side by side on the page, no sort of internal hierarchy. Um, and you know you, you kind of yeah you, they're not on the front of the cover and they're not necessarily on the first page but we're more just trying to find out find out about them and about their process and you know obviously it's it's nice to get a big name who you followed for a long time but we also just you know we when we can we love to meet them and just chat to them and you know it sounds I suppose a little bit lame but you know you want to kind of become their friends you know and just be mates and not not be this like oh we just want you because you're a superstar you know um and it's lovely to just flick through and be like oh there's my you know my friend from down the road and then there's that guy who I've been following for years um and I think that kind of is just part of the ethos of the magazine and what drives us absolutely yeah. you, you mentioned the introduction as well that thing about how swim started out as just being really for you and your friends and mm-hmm. it's grown since then so how is the experience of making the magazine different now? I think it, it does it does bring its own difficulties. You know, I think we, you know, a lot of the times now we're dealing with agents and, you know, it, it does slow the process down. It's not a case of just messaging your friend who, you know, lives down the road or anything like that. Um, all of a sudden there's a lot more, there's many more considerations um, and also trying to, as you get bigger names, figuring out how to work them in and again, how to maintain that sense of um, a kind of non-hierarchical format, you know, where it doesn't feel like we're pushing the big names out. How do you kind of keep them on the same level as everyone else? Um, and obviously we're still super excited to get those people, um, you know, Devendra Banhart. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan, but one of the photographers who works in the magazine, you know, he's one of his real idols. So to get Devendra Banhart was like a real real great great experience for us um but yeah i think in terms of the making 
it just it just takes a bit longer, I think, to figure out how you're going to fit everyone in. Um, and also, I, I, I guess, just in terms of accessing those artists, it's it's just it's just slower, and sometimes you don't get as much from them, and they're you know busier, and some of them don't necessarily have as much to say. So it's trying to make sure that the content um, is as on the same level as the rest of the content, where you know with other artists where you have good access to them and you have time to speak to them you know some of these people do their busy schedules so mm-hmm. it's kind of it's more of a almost a logistical thing more mm-hmm. than anything else and I guess with this kind of theme as well that doesn't lend itself well to um some, I don't know Devendra Banhart's got a new album out for example mm-hmm. so he can talk about that so the I guess with this you also have to somehow kind of catch their interest yeah. in terms of like we're doing this slightly unusual thing where we want to see the stuff that we don't know you for yeah. and you can totally see how like someone like him would be really into it and would love it but you can also see how some people really might not appreciate that well absolutely and especially um, when you're speaking to agents you know they're thinking well they're not really the going to, yeah, what are they going to get off the yeah. back of this? You know, you're talking about work that no one's ever going to see. Maybe it's not work they're even proud of. And that's not the sort of stuff we want the public to be seeing, you know. Um, and it's not that we're exposing like deep, dark secrets or anything, but they, you know, a lot of the time it's always like a very polished appearance and like, here's their best work. And we're like, we don't want to see your best work. We want to see the stuff that happens before that. Where are your rejected drafts where all your sketches your sketchbooks things that didn't quite make it or things that were kind of um in the preliminary stages um and yeah that that is always something that is difficult is you know getting into contact um with bigger artists and trying to sell this idea of an independent magazine um which is you know still relatively small um although it's getting bigger and also the focus is not on your masterpieces you know it's on the stuff that's just a little bit off center of that um and yeah sometimes that's a tough sell but when you get it it's just it always makes for a really nice piece of content yeah and i guess so this is all um thinking about artists who have already created something Mm. in another medium but there's also a section of artists who you approached with more of a brief saying okay we want you to have a go at doing something new yeah how did that change the dynamic? Because that feels like, I don't know, maybe is that a more uncomfortable proposition or did you find that people were really excited to get stuck into something new? Um, I think, yeah, there's lots of different results when you do that. Some people are like, oh, I've really wanted to do this for a long time, actually. I've been waiting for almost a reason to do it. Um, And that's always nice because it's like we've caught them at the right time um, and you just give them a little push to kind of make the thing they've been wanting to make for a while and just kind of dive outside of their comfort zone. Um, Some people maybe hadn't considered it, but just very willing. Um, And that's always nice, especially with people you know a little bit better because, you know, you can sit down with them and chat to them and, you know, work through it and figure it out, um, you know, when it's kind of just a quick email back and forth and maybe they live in the States or somewhere far away. It's it's harder to try and get that process and kind of not necessarily guide them through it because I think one of the things that is important to us is that we don't, we're not trying to force you to do something you don't want to do. We're just kind of trying to discuss ideas with you and see what would work and we want you to feel comfortable in what you're doing as well. Um, so it, it definitely helps if we're closer to that person um, if they're going to experiment in a whole new way. And then sometimes you have people who um, are just not really interested in doing that at the moment or don't have time. And that's totally understandable um, because I know, you know, if you've got a big project going on, a big painting project, and then someone's like, oh, would you mind just like trying to, 
uh, trying a sculpture you know <laughs> it's a bit of a you know some people are like I'd love to but I just don't have the time yeah, you know yeah, and yeah, also yeah. some people might just be like it might look a bit crap you know <laughs> which you know we, I mean we would we'd love to see that but but some people aren't comfortable with that and that's also totally understandable so it's just kind of trying to meet the person and see what stage they're at and whether they'd be interested in that um and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't so oh, so go on so to tell us when did it really work out which is the piece in this issue where you feel like that you've totally smashed it with this mm. Um, I think with our friend Christian Newell, um, who we've been working with for a while, um, he, for this issue, was trying out something called cryptology, um, which isn't necessarily a language, um, it's a cryptic form of writing, um, which denotes meaning in some way, but as in you wouldn't necessarily be able to speak it. and that was something he'd been really interested in doing for a while. And I think he had done bits of it before, but I don't think he'd done it to the extent that um, he had for this issue. Um, so that was really interesting to see. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's fully functioning. And for him, it was also really nice because it accompanied his painting. And he said that it gave him, as well as being kind of a creative um, process in itself it also was a way to talk about his other creative processes um, he's a painter and he said that through doing that he was able to kind of put more meaning on the page um, or alongside his canvases um, than was just in the painting itself um, and yeah that was really amazing to see and it was actually not something that we were necessarily expecting you know you you expect someone to be like oh, I'll try my hand at you know photography but he went down a completely different path and um, yeah it just looks brilliant and I think it really worked well for this issue. But so I'll put some pictures of this on the stack blog but we're looking at pages of really quite dense characters that look like maybe they're written in Hebrew or something like that but mm. this is all entirely made up and apparently carries meaning as if it were a language yeah I, I think one of so that that's an example of someone who has really explored this new kind of avenue to to what they're doing mm-hmm. I think my favorite um, pieces are the ones where you see artists showing a side of their work that you hadn't seen before so there's um, uh, an artist called Ian Thomas Miller mm-hmm. who shows the photography that he uses as the basis for a lot of his painting and the I mean the photos themselves are just like these amazing cobbled together pieces of like abstract imagery that you can then see how it feeds into the the painting but they're actually so close to each other that and again we'll put a picture of this on the blog but you've had to put the words photography or uh, painting I think it is in the background of the images so that you can actually see if one is a painting or a, a photograph yeah his his work is amazing um, it's really photorealistic um, and it's one of those where you have to really kind of look a lot closer to kind of pick out the brush strokes um, and to be able to tell whether it's a photograph or not um, and often what he'll do is he will um, take a photograph and then he'll include all of the um, kind of like the tape and all of the, all of the things around the main subject that anyone else would kind of crop out when they're painting. Um, he kind of includes that all. So then when you do look at it, you, you still can't really tell if it's the photograph you're looking at um, or if it is the painted version. Yeah. Um, but, it, but it feels to me like these should always be viewed alongside each other. I mean, I've only seen yeah. his work in this context, but, mm. the, but I feel like you get so much more by seeing the photography as well as the paintings. And it's not like you've shown 
the painting next to the photograph that he used for it. You've used different examples, but you can mm-hmm. really see how one feeds into the other. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I also just find his subject matter really interesting. Um, it's often quite, you know, I suppose mundane, you know, sort of empty bowls of fruit and um, little, yeah, taped up bits of um, <laughs> poster and there's a shoe taped to the wall. Yeah. Um, but obviously he, he really like looks at, at um, light and yeah. the way that falls on the subject. Um, I think that's definitely a big focus in his work. And the way he then translates that from a photograph to a painting is really interesting. Yeah. Um, I love the way the fruits are like withered and hard and stuff as well. Like, the, yeah. you know, it's got, it's got like the label on it so you can see the barcode from absolutely, the supermarket. Absolutely. I think there's kind of a real, almost gritty, lifelike aspect to this. It's not those kind of old, um, traditional paintings of fruit where every, all the fruit's plump and ripe and um, it's all just kind of looks, it looks like it's just been sort of forgotten. Um, <laughs> and there's a balloon in the fruit bowl as well. It's yeah, uh, a nasty, like, withered balloon as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I think that's part of the appeal. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's really beautiful. Yeah. So um, w- this has obviously all been talking about what's inside the magazine, mm-hmm. but I think one of the first reasons that I paid attention to swim was your covers Mm -hmm. so the cover of issue two um you basically put the flat plan on the cover so that you could see like at a glance everything's in the magazine and for this issue you've come up with this other like sort of eye-catching concept maybe tell us a bit about the concept and the realization for this um third issue cover Mm -hmm. um yeah, as you said, issue two was a flat plan, which was, again, so all of the covers will follow on from the issues theme. Issue two being unseen work, the idea was that um, we kind of took it in a more literal sense and we put all of the work that is literally unseen, as in it's inside the magazine, and we put it on the outside where you could see it. And it was kind of similar in the sense that we, kind of similar to the way we approach the work of the artists in that, you know, we looked for work that no one had ever seen and we kind of exposed it and brought it to light, I suppose. Um, so it was kind of taking that in a more literal sense um, and put all of the all of the pages on the inside and printed them on the cover, uh, which I think actually, yeah, made for a really interesting cover. Um, and then for this one, we, changing medium, we thought, you know, how can we, how can we make a magazine cover in a new way? So normally you just, you know, print a magazine cover and it would be maybe a picture or an image or, you know, maybe just the text of the title or something like that. Um, and we were like, you never really see, you know, hand-painted covers um, because it would just be way too much work. But we're, I guess, lucky in a way, you know, we still have a have a relatively small print run so we can afford to kind of... Um, you know, spend a bit more time on each on each copy, um, and we thought what we'd do is we'd paint these big A zero sheets. Um, and actually, the artist I was talking about before, Christian Newell, who's also a friend of ours, came down and helped uh, helped us out with that, which was um, yeah really appreciated. And so I wasn't there, but the two graphic designers, uh, one of the photographers and Christian Newell, spent um, effectively just two days straight working until like six a.m. Um, in an old fire station um, near London Bridge that we'd managed to find and just painted these huge sheets. Um, And then we packed uh, packed them all up and we sent them off to the printers um, who then chopped them up and attached them. But in order to print the rest of um, the detail on the cover, i.e. the kind of cryptic letters on the side, 
meant that it had to be manually printed, screen printed, because obviously if you put um, paint through um, the big, you know, million pound um, presses or anything like that, that's just going to ruin everything. Yeah. Um, so they had to hand, they had to hand print it. Um, so screen printing essentially um, to put that on there, which again adds kind of a, a get like that sort of handmade touch. Um, which we yeah, which we really like, and it also means that there are little kind of inconsistencies. Sometimes the ink doesn't quite um, isn't quite um, pressed onto the paper as well as it should be, or it's lighter in some areas and darker in others, and that changes from copy to copy. But it's also something that we thought we're going to embrace that mm-hmm. um, because it's again, it just adds that kind of handmade quality, um, and that's kind of that's really what we wanted. And I think these really look their best when they're all put together and you can kind of observe those differences. And I think that's when they're at their strongest. But yeah, it was it's definitely an experimental approach. It was it was more time consuming than we'd imagined. Uh, I don't know if we'd necessarily do it again. And it was also quite expensive. Uh, but, you know, I think that's that's we're in a position where we we kind of need to do that and we can do that. Um, and that's something that we're going to, you know, keep keep trying. And, you know, there will be a lot of trial and error along the way. Um, and I really am happy with the result. But I think, yeah, next time we, we would maybe go down a different path. So you're talking about next time already. It's a good sign. Mm-hmm. So do you know yet what is the theme for the fourth issue? We don't know the theme for the fourth issue. Um, so normally at the end of... Um, at the end of um, making one of the issues, you know, once it's out and it's in stores, we'll take a couple of weeks off and just kind of decompress. And then, I mean, there's still bits, you know, bits of admin to do, but we'll we'll spend a bit of time just kind of relaxing and actually more more than anything, just kind of reflecting on this issue. Um, so our first meeting back was the other day, and we just wanted to talk about what did we like, what didn't we like, you know, what would we change, um, and then gradually that will turn into a conversation about ideas for the next issue. And we have, along the way, you kind of, you know, pick up bits and we already have some sort of vague ideas of what we'd like to do, but we haven't got any definitive themes down yet. Um, But that's something that we kind of take our time with because when you're an annual and, you know, this is quite a chunky book, so this issue, I believe, is 232 pages, um, you really need a theme that's going to give you space to explore it properly you know we, we we intentionally pick quite broad themes so that we can kind of tie a lot of content around that because if you go too niche if you go you know if you go in a little bit too deep you kind of end up with you know very specific requirements which if, if that's what you're after can be amazing but also we find quite limiting sometimes we like to try and find it's not necessarily a loose theme but it's it's a, it's a theme that has a bit of room to breathe yeah. and then we would see it later this year yeah, it should be. We're aiming for we we're aiming for late summer. Um, we got pushed back to winter this time um, because there are a few issues with again with printing using you know paint on paper that that kind of yeah that caused some issues um, that we hadn't foreseen. So if we're on schedule this time, then it should it should come out late summer. Yeah, great, nice one. Well. Um, thank you so much for coming and talking about it, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing that next one when it comes. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Steve. Thanks for having me.
Okay, that's all for this episode. I would like to say thanks again to Daniel for coming over and I hope the next issue comes together a bit more easily than this one did. Like I said at the beginning, I want to include some pictures of Christian Newell's cryptography and Ian Thomas Miller's photography and photorealistic paintings. So they're up on the Stack blog now. Uh, You can also find more spreads and a story list in the Stack shop. And of course, you can buy a copy there too. Um, Just go to stackmagazines.com forward slash shop and if you're listening to this soon after the episode is released um, swim will be up near the top otherwise you can just search for swim and with a bit of luck we'll have some copies left thank you very much for listening to this episode and we'll be back with another one next week